0: We're on. Okay. Good morning, everybody. And a happy Valentine's Day to um, everybody. Um, I hope you're well today. And um, again, especially for all of our Star-Cross lovers who are already keying up Sade for this evening, it's great. Anybody know who Sade is anymore? Okay, it's like, listen, You're like, this is no ordinary love. All right, so with, it, with this in mind, this is a day to um, celebrate um, the love of God um, and not just uh, the love of God for those who are in relationship with one another, but the love of God for everybody, right? Because regardless of what state, You find yourself in today. Um, It is a powerful truth that can transform your life if you allow it to, and we're going to believe for it to do so today. So, um, anyway, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll jump right into it. And um, thank you for being here to worship God together with us today. So, Father, we thank you um, so much for your goodness uh, towards us today. God, we thank you for your love. God, you said you are love and you're the fullest expression of that love. And so, God, we're asking you that today, as we um, dive into your word, that you would help to reshape our picture of of what love is supposed to be, how we're to receive it, and also how we're to give it. And God, we're asking that as we do this, that we'd be conformed into your image, glorify you, and the gospel would mightily advance in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. All right. So love, 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 love. Okay. Was anybody else, I'm, I'm just going to be honest now, did anybody else wake up this morning with that song playing in their mind? Like, what is love? and start going, what is love? Baby, don't... Okay, no, maybe not. All right, So, like, you know you know what I'm talking about. Okay, it's sort of like that song that plays over and over again. Well, I thought, yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so it's probably one of those movies, before BC days, I shouldn't have seen. But anyway, the point is, is that it is um, important that we define love appropriately according to God's commands, because of the fact that the world has such a low estimation of it. How many people would agree with that? Love is defined as something that is um, arbitrary. Love is defined as something that is um, able to be given and taken away. Love is defined as something that is based on moods and feelings rather than unchanging decisions and truths. And so today, whenever I was um, um, preparing, well, not today, but actually this week when I was preparing for the message, I actually saw an interesting video on CNBC. If you've um, um, ever like uh, gotten your news from CNBC, this is actually what came up in celebration of Valentine's Day today. And I thought it was a perfect juxtaposition to how we're going to talk about Love, according to God's commands in the scripture uh, today. So if the, it works, we're going to um, see it now. Okay? This video.
1: <sighs> startup is hoping to lure in couples with an offer they can't refuse. Seattle-based Swan Love is planning to give couples up to $10,000 to use on their wedding with just one catch. If they get divorced, they have to pay it back plus interest. In the short term, the upside is obvious. Seemingly free money to spend on your luxurious wedding at a time where the average wedding in the U.S. runs at about $31,000. That means more money to spend on nice fancy things like shrimp cocktails or a chocolate fountain. But in the long run, things can get a little bit riskier. Census statistics show the average divorce comes eight years into a marriage, Assuming a 5% interest rate compounded annually over that time, a free $10,000 can quickly turn into a bill closer to 15 k or $26,000 for a couple splitting up two decades after saying, I do. So the question is whether or not people really want to gamble with their marriage.
0: I wouldn't.
1: Personally, probably not. Maybe. It's kind of nasty. Nasty? you're thinking, okay, I'm going to get a benefit right now, but then in the long run, if I want to get a divorce, I might not be able to financially. The problem is most people don't think rationally. Behavioral economists point to three biases a gamble like this looks to exploit. Number one, people tend to be overconfident in their own situations. While a couple might believe half of all marriages end in divorce, when thinking about their own marriage, passion can drive them to underestimate their own odds of divorce. Two, humans are present biased. Gains now lose out to the cost of that decision realized down the road. Anyone who's ever procrastinated can attest to that. And third, studies show people systematically undercalculate compounded interest, projecting payments linearly even though we know they increase exponentially. Of course, there are also aspects that could make a gamble like this a positive, like the incentive for couples to stay together by raising the cost of splitting up should they ever feel like the bite of love Ah! has worn off. Dude, I got rabies.
0: Here is obviously that the uh, generation that we live in is starting to bet against love it 's starting to bet against love, and there is an IPO an initial public offering betting against people being able to actually walk love out isn 't that interesting a whole company built on shorting love isn 't that um, interesting and so what we want to do is actually say that according to God actually love is meant to be a permanent thing love is meant to be an increasing thing love is exemplified by Jesus christ is meant to be something that we look forward to, not run from. We look forward to because it's cultivated in his presence. It's cultivated in his word. And it's actually something that we're able to live by if we choose to. So what we're going to break the message up today is in this three in these three sections, we're going to talk about what love is and what it is not. We're going to talk about love in life's different stages. And then finally, we're going to culminate with talking about Christ's love himself and how he perfectly demonstrated that for us. Okay. So how many people would agree that Ultimately, life is all together about relationships. No matter what you try to make it, life ultimately boiled down to its least common denominator is about the relationships that we have. It's about the relationships that we have with God, and it's about the relationships that we have with one another. That's why, if Jesus was going to summarize all the commandments that were given in the Old Testament into two commands, he said this Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. He said, this is the summation of all the laws that we have. And so what we see is that God in his infinite wisdom and his perfect, perfect um, wisdom is giving us commands that are to be um, obeyed. But he said, it's all summarized in this idea of love, but we've got to understand, first of all, what love is and what it is not. If we're going to be successful at walking it out. Okay. So as a man, I'm just going to tell you, it was sort of an arbitrary concept to me growing up. Anybody else like me here? here as a man, it was sort of just like, you felt like it was sort of touchy feely. You felt like it was gooey. You felt like it was sort of something that you couldn't really conceptually relate with. Was anybody else like that in here with me? I mean, you felt the love of your parents, right? You knew that they loved you. You felt the love of friends of yours. You knew that like they were your boys or they were your girls. But as far as knowing how to love somebody well, it was something that was a little bit foreign to me. So whenever I thought about love, most times I thought about it in terms of a feeling. How many people like came from that perspective? whenever you were growing up. Love is basically a feeling. I went from relationship to relationship, most times thinking that I was falling in love and out of love. When I was in love, you know, I gave my world to them. You know what I mean? When I was out of love, I was like finding the quickest access to an exit. You know what I mean? To find my way out of a relationship because it was all about the feelings that I had in a moment. When I came to God, however, I saw that love was defined differently according to his word. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at two men who are far from God um, at some point in their life today and actually get inspiration from them. First of all, the Apostle Paul, you know, who actually was a murderer of Christians, I mean, prior to his salvation experience, and he actually understood through Christ the love of God and how to actually communicate and demonstrate it to others. And another more modern scholar who was actually dead now, but everybody knows him, C.S. Lewis, who talked about love, and he actually um, has a great book that I'm going to recommend to you if you haven't read it yet. It's actually called the four loves. How many of you have read the four loves before? Okay. It's a great, great, great book on um, love. Okay. So let's talk about what love is and what um, love isn't. First of all, if you're going to be successful in these relationships that are all boiled down in the summation of the commandments of God, you've got to understand that love is a choice, not merely a feeling. Love is a choice, not merely a feeling. How many people could agree with that? That love is a choice and not just a feeling. I like how um, C.S. Lewis said it. He said, love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. It is the desire to have everything possible lead to that person's good, and that's the love that God demonstrated towards us. So if you have a Bible today, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. No, we are not doing a ceremony today, a wedding ceremony, but it is appropriate for Valentine's Day as we talk about love. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. This was the Apostle Paul speaking. And the context of this scripture is um, important for us to understand because he was talking to a church that was full of the power of God. They were full of the demonstrations of the power of God, working in signs and wonders and miracles. And we believe that God himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever and does that today, right? He still opens blind eyes. He still opens deaf ears. He's still prophesying over people, bringing destiny and calling out of their life. But what we see is that this church who was moving in the power of God actually began to substitute the importance of love or how to operate in these gifts to, um, um, as more important than the manner in which they operated in the gifts. And what we see is Paul in this context, we see that in first Corinthians 12, he starts by talking about the gifts of the Holy spirit. And he says, Hey, listen, I want you not to be ignorant about the gifts of God. I want you not to be ignorant about them. I want you to understand them. It's part of God's nature. Just as Jesus himself walked in power on the earth. So he gave his Holy Spirit to the church to also walk in power in the love of God as they presently live on the earth today. But this is how you're supposed to do it, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, by walking in love. And so he starts in verse 1 saying this, love is a choice, not merely a feeling. Let's walk it out. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and what that basically means is languages, okay? If I speak in the languages or the tongues of men and of angels, but have And he says, here you go. Here's how you identify love. And here is how love can be clearly defined for you so that as you're categorically going through a reflection and saying, am I actually living a life of love? The Bible says that the only thing that counts is faith in Christ expressing itself through love. So how am I to know whether I'm walking in the love that he actually is requiring of me? Well, he says, here's how you know. We were at a men's meeting yesterday, and I, I love the um, fact that I think it was Joseph who talked about going through a list, like when you're walking and, and graduating from one level of management to another, and categorically going through a checklist to see if you have qualities that are reflected or necessary for the promotion that you're looking for. And God's saying, hey, listen, if you're going to walk in love, I'm going to make it clear what it looks like for you. He says this, love is patient. Love is patient. And I love that word because ultimately it starts, it starts off hard. It says love is patient, which literally in the Greek means long-suffering. Did anybody ever read that in another translation? That's what the Bible says. Love, if you're going to ha- walk in love, you've got to be lo- I'm, I'm long-suffering. And you know what that actually translates towards me? It, it means suffering for a long time. That's what it means. That's what the word means. If I'm going to be loving towards somebody, if I'm going to learn how to love them and walk with them, I've got to learn to suffer a long time, not for my benefit, but for theirs. And how about this? Not just for their benefit, because I used to think that I was doing everybody else a favor, but for mine. Right? How many people know that when you're put in a position, when you get to be long-suffering, God has a plan for you in the midst of that just as much as he has for the other person. And the long-suffering that you're experiencing is creating and forming the character of Christ in you in ways that you never could have if it was just an easy road for you. If you've ever been in a position where you've been like, why am I still here in the workplace? Why am I still here in this family situation? Why am I still here in my... My own mind and thoughts. Well, God's saying, I'm developing patience in you. I'm developing patience in you so that you learn how to love me and actually love others as well. But ultimately, when we look at all of these lists that we're going to go through um, in a moment here, we see that God doesn't require anything of us that he hasn't himself done first. And God, when he says that love is patient, you better believe that he's patient with us. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> God is long suffering with us, the incarnate God. He said, you know, I love Jesus and I love how honest the Bible is because it talks about his ups and his downs during his earthly ministry here on this earth. And you know, one of my favorite um, like sayings of Jesus, when the people of God that he was walking among and ministering to were frustrating him. And he said this, how long shall I put up with you? And how long shall I be here on this earth? Anybody remember reading that in um, in the gospels? Jesus was basically like, how much longer before we get this right? And I was like, that's just honest. Jesus himself had to be the incarnate God, long suffering with those he came to redeem and save. And he's like that with us, thankfully, every day as we're learning to be conformed into the image of Christ. But he says, that is a choice, not a feeling. It is a choice, not a feeling for the son of God to be long suffering with us. Is it not? How many people know if it were just up to him, we would all be sort of like, <laughs> we would all be sort of like bugs on a windshield that it was waiting to zap, right? He's like, ah, oh, got it wrong. Zap. You know, I'm tired of that zap. You know what I mean? That's it. Gotta go bap, You know what I mean? And God could just point us out and say one by one, I'm taking you out. Right? But God made a choice, not based on his feeling, but based on his nature, To be patient and long-suffering with us. And that choice led him to the cross. That choice led him to the cross. Did it not? Jesus, in his honesty, said to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. Meaning the cross that he was about to go to. But not my will, but your will be done. And I love it because Jesus didn't say that once. He didn't ask for that twice. He came back one more time. (laughs) He said, all right, Father, I know we've had this discussion already. But if there's any other way, I don't want to go to the cross to die. But not my will, but your will be done. He made a choice to be long suffering with us. And he calls us to do the same. Love is patient. Love is also kind. We've talked about that over and over again. Can I look at my life and actually say that I'm kind towards others? And here's the thing. We had a great discussion um, earlier this week talking about like sincerity versus um, um, sincerity versus just practical kindness. How many people know that you can actually be kind, but not feel sincere? Okay, here's the truth of the matter. It is okay to be kind and not feel sincere. This sincerity comes from your action and not necessarily how you're feeling about the matter. Why? Because it's about the other person and not just us, right? I can offer a kindness to somebody that's going to bless them whether or not I like them. Okay, here I'm just getting practical now. In the workplace, do you like everybody? Okay, come on now, be honest. Do you like everybody in the workplace? The answer is no. Not everybody's likable. That's just the truth. We're by nature objects of His wrath, and that comes out in practical ways. We're unlikable. We're some of us are just jerks, right? But the Bible says, Hey, be kind anyway, be kind anyway, and show them a kindness. That's going to express the grace of God. The grace, meaning giving them what they don't deserve, not what they deserve. And by that they're ministered to, and hopefully over the course of time, they will receive the truth of God, which leads them to what the Bible says is repentance, Isn't that what the Bible says? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. If God only treated us as we deserved, we would be treated as the jerks that we were and go to hell. But he said, no, my kindness is what's going to lead you to repentance, whether I feel like it or not. And in the same way, God's calling us to be those types of people. He says love is patient and love is kind. A lot of times... When we're talking in our family, we're like, you know, responding to different things as a pressure cooker. You know, we're in a duplex down and, you know, it's like six people living on top of each other. And then the whole litmus test for all of our interactions was, was that loving and was that kind? And if not, we need to press the reset button. Okay, let's keep moving on. He said, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love does not envy or boast. It means that we can actually be happy for someone else whenever things are going well with them and it might not be going the way we want it to for us, right? We don't envy somebody else, but the Bible says we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, right? That's love for people. He says, we don't envy and nor do we boast whenever things are going well as to make people jealous towards us. But we instead give testimony to say, if God's no respecter of persons, what he's done for me, he can do for you. Right? That's the encouragement that love gives. He says, Hey, listen, if he brought me out of debt, he can bring you out of debt too when he begins to form in you principles and stewardship, mindsets and mentalities that will help you stop being a spendthrift and instead be a good steward of his resources. He all of a sudden says, I could give testimony that as he's healed my body, he can heal yours too. When all of a sudden we trust God for his power to be released in today's times, right? That's the goodness of. God, love communicates that to other people. It doesn't envy or doesn't boast, and it is not arrogant or rude. Now, that's a big one in this city, is it not? It is something that you have to literally fight against. I love the message that um, Pastor Brian Diver, if any of you remember him, coming through, preached when he came through. He preached a message called walking in the opposite spirit, right? As Christians, we're called to walk in the opposite spirit of the culture and the city around us. And the thing about it is, is that what we're surrounded by are those two things, right? Arrogance and people who are rude in this city, right? Anybody it went to a whole nother level when I got to Chicago. Let me tell you something. I was born in New York, but for years, I was down south, living my life in North Kakalaki. that's right, North Carolina, and there I experienced all the grease and Southern hospitality that I could like encounter, and I was like, "Listen, this is just nice. people are nice. I don't care if they're fake, they're just nice right It's sort of like. I know they don't mean what they say, but it's just—I appreciate it. my, my my love language is words of encouragement, support. So on fake people, <laughs> it's like it's great, you know, it's great. But then when I got back to like sort of the Chicago, it was like a mixture of the two, right? It was a city, so it was sort of like New York, but sort of people weren't as rude as New York. You know what I mean? And so, but I started to get on the train, and people were just like mad all the time, and rude to like pushing past me. I'm like, listen, dude, it's like you're half my size. Did you realize you just bumped me? And then I was like, Christian, (laughs) all of a sudden I had to remember, you know what I mean? That I had to learn to walk in the opposite spirit. Love is not rude. It doesn't matter what's offered to you. Your response, your response needs to be something that reflects Christ. And sometimes the only way that we can do it is pulling it in. You know what I'm talking about? Reeling it in. Anybody have it like sort of a quick fuse like me? Okay, come on, be honest now. We can have our therapy later. I'm just trying to find where our group's going to come from. Okay, so like a quick fuse like me, you know? It's sort of like people push buttons. I'm like, bam, you know? And I'm like, "Uh, pastor, you know? And so all of a sudden, listen, I'm like, listen, I've got to learn to pull it in and sometimes just count. Remember your mom used to tell you that? Count to three, you know, or count to 10. Sometimes cause some of you like take a few hours, you know, <laughs> like in your room to get like pull it together. Love's not rude. Love's not rude. And it's not you. Listen, it is not you being sincere if you choose to be rude to somebody because they were rude to you. Okay. You understand that? It's not you just treating it like being like it, like, you know, this is just the way things are, you know, that that this is not what we're called to be as Christians, We're called to be different than what we would naturally be in our sinful nature. In our sinful nature, we would just respond. But by the Spirit of God, we're called to be proactive cultivators of the environment around us. And through that, we minister the truth in the gospel of Christ. And so if we're not arrogant or rude, it it also teaches us not to insist on our own way. Okay, that'll help you in marriage hello, (laughs) that'll help you in marriage, not to insist on your own way. You are not getting together with that person on Valentine's day just to make them who you want them to be. Okay. That is not, that is not the dream here. I'm going to find my own personal puppet, you know, and they're going to dance for me. Dance baby. You know, it's sort of like, that is not the dream here. You're not to insist on your own way. It's not, okay, hold on. I'm going to highlight that. All right, it's not irritable. That's for me later. It is, not ir- <laughs> it is not irritable. It is not irritable or resentful. That means if you've ever been hurt, disappointed, or somebody didn't measure up to your expectation of them. The Bible says that we're to protect ourselves from bitterness You see, God doesn't protect us. He says you are to watch out for the bitter root growing up in your own heart, which can cause trouble and defile not just yourself but many people. Because when you're bitter or resentful, then that word starts to get out in the workplace. You know how it talks about in James, you know, just a small spark, you know what I mean, Uh, just a small spark setting a whole fire or a whole forest ablaze. Just that one little bitter comment starts to circulate, and then it starts to what? grow. And then not only does it grow in the community that you're in, it grows in your own heart. And so what started off as a minor irritation actually begins to consume you instead of you actually sowing into something that would produce love and not resent. Okay. It does not rejoice. The Bible says at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth love. Here's another one bears all things We're just reading the Bible right now, so don't get mad at me. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. (laughs) Whether we like it or not, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, let me say this about love. Because, like, ultimately, uh, life is all about the relationships that we have, number one, with God and also with one another. Uh, let me tell you again, if you are from Chicago, great. You might probably have family and friends that you've had for years here. If you're not from Chicago, that's okay, too. Let me tell you that God has love for you right here and right now, okay? God's got love and God's got a community. God's got family for you right here and right now. I like what C.S. Lewis, if we started to start to adopt this mentality of love in our heart, what he said about the love that God has for us and the love that's to be demonstrated toward one another. It's actually a quote that uh, Katie shared with me um, like a couple weeks ago, but it says, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference, and this is actually a quote from that book, The Four Loves, okay, if you're looking for a reference point. We think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic, relating, uh, <clears throat> topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting. Any of these chances might have kept us apart, but for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances." A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to his disciples, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, You have not chosen, ye have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. Isn't that powerful? He says, You have just as we haven't chosen him, but he chose us. He says, The people you're surrounded by. He said, you didn't choose them, but I've chosen you for them and them for you. And he says this, the friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste and finding one another out. It is an instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauty of others. Isn't that powerful? That means that where you are right now, even in the seat that you find yourself in today, is part of the sovereignty of God. It is part of the sovereignty of God and the loving sovereignty of God that puts you in the place that you are for two things to happen. Number one, for you to experience the love of God, but also for you to give it to others. And though you would wish to give it to others who might look more like you, act more like you, think more like you, matter of fact, be your clone. You know what I mean? What you are finding is that God, in his sovereignty, is putting you in a place where he says, I'm going to form Christ in you through this loving community that you have. And I've chosen it for you. So you need to make the most of it. You need to make the most of it. In love, this means this don't fall prey to loneliness in the city. I'd make this appeal over and over and over again. But I'm going to make it one more time. Do not fall prey to loneliness in the city. Embrace your church as the family of God for all its practical benefit. Love the ones you're with. Anybody remember that song? (laughs) Love the one you're with. Okay, so anyway, so... and make an effort to connect this week with someone whom you might begin the adventure of God with. So what does love look like in life stages? Love looks to give rather than to simply receive. That's what we see in first Corinthians 13. As we continue that scripture, he says, listen, when we think about love, we first of all start thought of it just as a feeling, but then we think about it in terms of, I'm only going to give love to those who are willing to reciprocate it to me. Is that Anybody in here, like, felt that way before? I will only give my best to those who will reciprocate it to me. But this is what the Bible says. Let me tell you. He says, when I was a child, verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Okay, let's go over that again. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. And I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see as in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I think that's a powerful statement because if anybody has not only had kids but been around kids, you know that there's something that marks kids. And the thing about kids is that they are what? Myopic it is meaning that they are the center of their worlds, right? Everything is about them and what's happening to them in the moment, right? Anybody remember being a child? Anybody remember this week acting like a child? Okay. (laughs) Sort of like when it's all about me, right? That's my action reference point. It's my thinking reference point, And it's my reasoning reference point. It's about what I receive. But let me tell you something. Whenever you become a man or become a woman, it becomes about what you can give rather than what you can receive, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, it's more blessed to do what? To give rather than to receive. And he's not just talking about financially there. He's talking about your love, It's more blessed, like Christ, to give rather than to receive. And so all of a sudden, we ask the question, how often should I be the one giving without reciprocation? Anybody ever asked that question before? How often should I give to somebody if they're not going to show me that they value me? Well, the answer is this. I think it's reflected in Matthew chapter 18, whenever Peter was talking to Jesus and he said, Hey, listen, Jesus, I've been a forgiving man. And listen, a lot of people have offended me over the years, but I'm asking you, how? often should I forgive the one who offends me? And what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said, Hey, okay, I'll read it. <laughs> Jesus said, yes. <laughs> he said, I tell you, am I supposed to forgive him seven times, which was a number of completion. And Jesus said, Jesus said, listen, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times. Seven times, or seven times seven, right? And so all of a sudden he's saying, "Listen, infinite number of times. How often people offend you? As often as they come and ask for forgiveness. That's how often you should forgive them. In any relationship, how often should you love people? As often as they're in front of you. <laughs> that that's it. Isn't that the, isn't that the answer?" how often should I love somebody as often as I have opportunity? How often should I be patient, kind? How often should I not be rude and arrogant? How often should I in the workplace have to deal with that person, that coworker who I know is backbiting me and trying to promote themselves above me in that place? One more time. How often, Jesus? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. Because you're to be the light of Christ. Now, the Bible also says to be wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove, right? It does not mean be stupid, okay? It doesn't mean, you know, I'm just saying like, oh, I'm going to open up and bear my soul in all of my plans. You know what I mean? To this person who I know is trying to tear me down in the workplace. That's not what he's saying. Be wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove, right? But at the same time, you look for their benefit and you look to act like a man and not like a child. Act like a woman and not like somebody who's just looking to receive all the time. He says it takes grace, but he's got it for you if you want him to. So listen, he, this is what C.S. Lewis continued to say in the um, four loves. He said there are three basically, he talks about the four loves, but then he also breaks it down into three different sets. He talks about need love, gift love, and also um, appreciation love, okay? And he talks about it in these ways. We can put that quote up on the screen. He said, need love, as we become move from a place from thinking, acting, and reasoning like a child to thinking, acting, and reasoning like a man or a woman, we progress through these stages. And he says that need love cries to God from our poverty, right? We all start there. It's like, God, we love you because you first loved us. And I'm loving you, crying out in my need for you. Come and save me, redeem me, restore me, right? He says it cries out to him from our poverty. Gift love, when we begin to mature, longs to serve what we talked about last week, or even to suffer for God. Appreciative love says, we give thanks to thee for thy great glory. God, I love you for who you are, right? Not just what you've done, but who you are. I honor you and worship you because you are holy. I honor you and worship you because you are good. I honor you and worship you because you're loving. Even if my circumstances don't evoke love in me, God, I praise you for who you are. Okay, let's go on. Need love says of a woman, when you're in a relationship, I cannot live without her. Gift love longs to give her happiness, comfort, protection, if possible, wealth. Appreciative love gazes and holds its breath and is silent, rejoices that such a wonder should even exist, even if not for him, will not be wholly dejected by losing her, would rather have it so than never to have seen her at all. How poetic, right? Right. He's basically saying, hey, listen, I just love the fact that I got to have a moment with her. If you, if you feel that way about your Valentine tonight, show her, okay? But if you're, married, I mean, if you're not married, keep it holy, okay? And so there's the, a the, 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 the thing. That, that's the type of love, right, that you want to have. It's an appreciative love where you say, listen, I adore you as a person, right? Those are the places that you move through. And you want to find ways to show appreciative love to one another with whom God's chosen you to connect. But ultimately, we have to sort of find that love in the love of Christ himself. And let me say the final point that if we're to understand love, love is not a feeling, it's a choice. Love has to ultimately also also be demonstrated, not relegated to a mere sentiment. Okay? If love is a choice and not just a feeling, it's also got to be demonstrated and not just relegated to a mere sentiment. Okay, this is what the final quote from, um, well, I'm just gonna keep going. He says, uh, final quote, he says, um, C.S. Lewis in the four loves, he says, to love at all is to be, and this is what Christ represented, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one not even an animal. That's a good word for Chicago. Some people don't have like girlfriends or boyfriends. They have dogs. Okay. And so the thing is, but it's like they're trying to hold back their love from everybody, hoping not to be hurt. And he says, wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to be vulnerable. And at the end of the day, that's what we've got to see. If you're going to be able to walk in the love of Christ, and it's not, not, it's sort of oxymoronic, especially, um, you know, when you're a man or a woman trying to achieve in the city, to be vulnerable is something that seems foreign to us, right? It's your, you're supposed to be the man or the woman who's on top, has your game together. You know I mean, know what you need to do, when you need to do it, how you need to do it, with whom you need to do it. But he says, if you're going to love, it's going to take vulnerability. It's going to take vulnerability that was represented in Jesus Christ himself. If you are going to be married successfully one day, you need to learn to be vulnerable. Right? Isn't that the truth Isn't that the beauty of even our sexual relationship, that we get to be vulnerable with one another, where all of the, beauty, like John legend says, you know what I mean? I love all your perfect imperfections, right? It's sort of like, listen, I love you. And I get to see all of you, both your beauty, what you consider beautiful and what you don't consider beautiful. What did Christ do? He humbled himself. He was perfect. He was incarnate God coming down and clothed himself with stinking flesh, right? And actually made himself vulnerable to walk upon um, amongst humanity that he might love and redeem it. And this is what we see um, represented in the gospel itself in Romans chapter five, verses six through 10. He says this for while we were still weak, right? He said the object of his love was weak, but he says, if I'm going to demonstrate love, I've got to become weak to redeem it. And he says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, right? So here's the point of love. The object of your affection or the object of your love is not worthy of your love. He says, while we were still sinners, not when we got it right, but while we were still sinners, summarized. He's basically saying this. I like um, the final quote from C.S. Lewis, I promise you. He said this. He said, the son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. He said, I myself humbled myself and became a man so that I could allow those who are unworthy to become sons and daughters of God. You see that exchange? He said, that is the nature of love. He said, I'm coming to that which is unlovable and loving it that I might actually redeem them. If you're looking only to love that which loves you, you will run into roadblocks each and every time. But that's what Christ did. He said, I'm putting it on you and I'm saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in the workplace, in your neighborhood, on the train, in your family. Golly, in your family, right? He says, that's the nature of love. And that transcends, if you get that type of truth in you, that transcends all the seasons of life. It's not just about Valentine's day. You know I mean? You being with your romantic partner, it's about everyday life because relationship exists in everyday life. Whether you're relating and face to face with your Valentine or not, right? He says, I require love from you because I myself have treated you this way. And God says, because of that, in that unlovable nature, he says, I'm calling you to myself and it's good news for everyone. It's good news for everyone in the gospel. It's good news. It is good news. And so today, if you find yourself in a place where you're surrounded by the unlovable, be encouraged, be encouraged because we were first unlovable to God, right? And he chose to love us to redeem us. And if you're in a place where you are loved, you know what I mean? and you're in a relationship where that love is growing, also be encouraged. It's Valentine's Day. And you get to take whatever it is that you're expressing to one another today and multiply it over and over again throughout the year, that you might be a model and an example for those who need to see the love of God in this generation when we have so much dysfunction and such a low estimation of love around us as we saw in that video he said one way or another love love it's not it's not theoretical it's not intangible he listed for us so it's very practical he loved you and so we're called to love one another amen all right let's have the worship team come on up
1: To learn more about the many activities at Second City Church, search online for secondcitychurch.org. That's 2ndcitychurch.org. For all the information you need, sign up for our email and stay up to date on all upcoming plans and events.